stay with me if you can this morning. And I will begin by reading from, if I can get my iPad to work here. I'll begin by reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. But there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them. So these were people who were Christians. This scripture refers to the last days, these days. And it talks to people about people who were born again, who among God's people introduce false teaching and heresies, even though God brought them at a price and they bring swift destruction upon themselves. Now, look at me a moment, folks. I, I have an advantage over probably all of you. And my advantage is this. We travel all the time. We go all over the world and we meet many different pastors from different countries. And that broadens your mind and it gives you a, a, an amazing education. And one of the things that you pick up when you travel is that, I tell you, <laughs> there's one church, there's one world, there's one God, and there's one devil. I tell you. Because the same problems, the problems that you face, that you think are so unique, are the problems that we as a church face, that we think are so particular, they're not. You're not unique, and our problems as a church are not unique. And last week we were in Austria, we were sitting with pastors from all over the globe. And I was, I was staggered to listen to the examples around the table. I mean, let me just give you one illustration. I could give you many five, six weeks ago, the Pakistanis, our Pakistani congregation had a major breakthrough. Remember, 320 leaders and pastors from all over the UK came here for the first ever Urdu, it's a language, the Urdu language, first ever Urdu gathering in the UK. Fantastic. I was there and one little guy, one little child, five-year-old, got up and sang a, a, a beautiful song. It was so anointed. It was just encapsulated the day. The next day, the child was in a car crash. The next day, his mother, his father, his sister, and he were all unconscious. Their car flipped four times. And I just happened to share that testimony. And as the other pastors around the table began to tell their stories, guess what? You know where I'm going. Car crash after car crash. Well, what are you doing? Well, we're planting churches. What are you? Well, we're planting churches. We're gaining nations. We're having influence. And there was some open, I, I don't understand it, but I do recognize it. I see it, that there's a devil that's out to attack, right? And the more we proceed, the more aggressive we get, both in church planting and evangelism, the more we can expect to see some form of fight back, right? And that's what I really want to talk about today. This is a, a, an amazing time for me. I have studied end times for 22 years. I've written two books on it. You've probably, many of you have those books. So I, I, I do understand at least the, the, the outline sketch of, of the last days. Okay, it was a passion for me. At one point, the books I had on end times, if I stacked them up, they were taller than me. And I'm six foot two, right? <laughs> there was a lot of books and they're not ornaments. I had exhaustively devoted myself to understanding that. And understanding so that I would be ready as a minister to help the church. Now, as I sat last week, this is, I'm telling you all that to tell you this. As I sat last week and I heard about Ulf Elkman. You know Ulf Elkman? 
Jesus, God help us all. Ulf Altman is probably one of the greatest men of God of your lifetime, if you haven't heard of him. He's actually Swedish. He began the Word of Faith movement in Europe and around the world. When I travel in Armenia, Bulgaria, all over Eastern Europe, huge churches that were all planted by him. And yet, what, six months ago, he goes and becomes a Knight Templar in the Vatican. Uh, you think, so the church has had to reject him as their leader. Uh, and uh, shocking stuff, folks. Deception. In the last days, in the last days, are you listening, brothers and sisters? Are you listening? I'm not joking this morning. I'm not joking. God gave me a dream. Remember, I told you. I, I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw Steve Chalk. Remember, I told you. I saw the face of Steve Chalk and I was awake and I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I didn't know why God showed me that face. But I know that man, he's a good guy, born again, spirit-filled. He taught me when I was a young Christian and I walked around my house in the middle of the night and Father, I pray for Steve Chalk, I don't know what's wrong. The same day, the same day, 12 o'clock on my phone comes a text message. Dear brothers and sisters, we regret to inform you that Steve Chalk has now endorsed same-sex marriage. You understand? So I was shocked with that. Shocked with that. When I hear this, Ulf Elkman, one of our greatest leaders, falling and going, going bonkers in his brain, he's lost his ethics, he's lost his doctrine. This tells me that I need to go back to Scripture and find it. When I hear of Steve Chalk, when I hear now of Tony Campalo, you know Tony Campalo, another one down. Another one down, one of the greatest evangelists again of this century. What has he just done? He's come out and said he agrees with same-sex marriage. I don't. I don't. And I don't care if we fill this church or empty this church. I never will. Okay? Well, it's not a popularity contest. Okay, it's not a popularity contest. Don't worry about those things. Watch your doctrine and life is what Paul says. Folks, I tell you this, I think of those three individuals and I think it's the tip of the iceberg. I think it's the beginning of the end. And what I see in them is this. If I could only speak to some of them, in fact, Ivan is a very close friend of Elkman, our Bulgarian pastor, known him all his life. Every year they spend a week together. It was him that told me what's happened there. He was shocked he will no longer go because he doesn't want to bring that reputation back to his church. But you know what I would say to those guys if I was able to talk to them? I would say this. It is not how a person starts out that counts. It's how they finish. And I don't care what sort of person you have been. Because the person that you are from 20 to 40 or from 40 to 60, which one is the most important bit? It's the way you finish. It's the way you end up. And those guys, they've made many mistakes. One of them is not listening anymore to people, not listening to the elders. They separate themselves, make independent choices which are corrupt, and then they end up on the road to ruin. For the, the first mistake they're making is pride and not keeping themselves accountable to the fellowship and under the word of God, okay? But, and, and separation as well. I counsel you, friends, as I sat with the guys last week in Austria, Someone took the words out of my mouth. I went to say to these guys, and these, you know, have a lot of experience. I was going to say, do you know what, folks? The Bible talks about the apostasy. And there's been many 
there's been many times in history where there's been a falling away uh, from the church. You know, the revivals when the graphs go up and they go down. No problem. The apostasy of the end times in our age that I believe we will see it, it's different. And it's different because of this. In history, they, 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 they didn't know what they were doing. People came to churches, they left churches. The difference with the apostasy at the end times is that it's the believers. They, in the last days, Paul warns us, they, the ones who God has bought, they're born again. And even though they're born again, and even though they know the truth, this is the end times apostasy. You want? Are you with me? There's a difference between people wandering in and out of churches because there's so-called revivals going on in history. But there's a big difference when you start seeing those who have been anointed, appointed, and used by God. There's a big difference historically. This tells me it's the apostasy, or at least the beginning of the apostasy, and uh, which, is, which is prophesied in Scripture as a great falling away in the last days. So I sat there around that table, and one of the guys took the words right out of my mouth, one of the other pastors. And another one said, that's exactly what I was thinking. That with, these, with this type of behavior, these are scary times, folks. So I thank God for VFC. We're part of a, a, a global network called Victory Family Center, which is based in Singapore. We're not into fancy buildings, <coughs> as you can see. But it is currently the largest church planting movement on earth. And believe it or not, all over the world this morning, it, it has become... Our missions book has just been released. I will leave it at the back. And as you come and go to the meetings in the building, please have a look and see what's happening around the world. In most, it's the biggest movement, missions movement on the earth. But if you look at the pictures, in most places, the groups are small. The way is narrow. Broad is the way of popular appeal. And in cities all over the world, Absolutely, you can get a crowd if you compromise. But our churches may be small, but at least the doctrine is correct. Amen? And that's one thing in, in all my years with this church. I've never seen them err on that. We may have differences of opinion, of course, that's going to happen. But nothing serious. O over the last, what, I mean, particularly 10 years, if you remember, we did several messages about praying and through the last days because there's a difference. The Bible talks about praying generally, but then Scripture has some very pointed, specific pieces of advice for you because you're an end times believer. You're not like the general prayer in the Bible. And there are at least 15, 20 specifics, specific pieces of advice given to you and to me about how to pray in the last days. Basically, Jesus says we are to watch and pray. Okay? He's not talking about TV. Okay. What are we supposed to watch? Remember, we've done this extensively. What are we supposed to watch? Politics. Economics. Israel. The, for the apostasy. We're supposed to watch our doctrines, etc., etc. We're supposed to keep our finger on the pulse so that we know how to pray, but also so that we are protected. Now, as, uh, from what I can see, folks, the way the world is going is this. The vast majority of so-called believers are going to migrate into a kind of a mishmash, multi-faith church. Okay? Which will, which will say that they believe, but there'll be no power. They will deny the power, as the scripture says. 
there's going to be a huge, it's called the apostasy, a huge migration to this multi-faith thing, and it will probably take different forms in different continents, but it will be the same spirit. We then, who are born again, we who are evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians, we are going to become an ever-increasing you know, minority you know, on the earth in that sense. Okay? In fact, I, I believe we'll be known as extremists. So you will have extremists in Islam known as Al-Qaeda. And we will begin to have extremists in Christianity known as the born-again guys. Those who believe the Bible. And these two antipodes are going to be actually lumped together as the people that nobody wants to work with. Right? That's where we're going at a very, very, very fast pace. So the Apostle Paul gives us many warnings, fantastic warnings, great advice about how we should behave and what we should prepare ourselves for. He says this to you. This is to you. It's not to anybody else. So listen, guys. This is, I believe this is the generation. Okay? Israel's back home. This is the generation, if you believe your Bible. Paul says this. Mark my words. That in the last days, it will be like a woman who is in labor. And when you feel the contractions increase, when you feel the pain increase, every mother knows what? That baby's coming, right? It's a good thing in one sense. And Paul says the second coming of Christ will be like a woman in labor and the Christians on the earth are going to experience more pain. Correct. You're going to be challenged to compromise in ways that you have not yet been challenged. The temptation is to water down your doctrine. The temptation is to go with the crowd on the broad way. That's the temptation. And Paul says, get ready, because he who overcomes will be given the right to eat of that tree of life. Are you, are you with me? So I need, to, I need to listen to Paul. He's prophesying to me and he's warning me, prepare yourself for even though in the UK you have not yet had to resist too much. Who knows what's coming, guys? Correct? I was Friday was great. Great prayer meeting. Most of you were eating and watching TV. Idiots. Sorry. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up! Wake up! Why do you slumber? Why do you slumber? Do you know what the word slumber in in the Bible means? Do you know what slumber means? It doesn't mean to sleep. The Hebrew word means to do nothing. Slumber. It means you have responsibilities, but you don't fulfill them. Slumbering generation. Wake up. Wake up, come on. You have been entrusted by God, by God, to live in this day, 2013, in the concluding moments of time. God, help us. Yesterday, I don't know what you thought, Gordon, I would put yesterday's evangelism on the streets of this city. I done a lot of evangelism. For me, you what? One of the best days I have ever experienced evangelistically in any city. And I did it full time for three years. Absolutely fantastic. 
The sad thing is I met three people from China who had never heard the name of Jesus, didn't know what I was talking about, just got off the plane, and in all, because I mostly evangelized in Europe, they all know about Jesus. But this was the first time for me that I have ever had one girl and then had two girls after that. I said, I'm a Christian. They know what you're talking about. I wanted to tell you about Jesus Christ. Totally, they're in China, you see. No gospel, no new. That's all prohibited for them. And it was a great honor. I immediately thanked God for the honor of sharing. Our, our Chinese overseer, Alan Litt, was telling us recently, there's no revival in China, he said. Are people telling you there's, a re- there's no revival in China anymore? Oh, those days are over, he said. Currently, he estimated that 8 out of 10 people who they stop on the street have never heard of Jesus in China. Never heard his name. Staggering, you know. Well, I, I've been traveling a lot, and I'm back in Glasgow now for the next year or so, at least, without too much travel. And I intend to revamp the evangelism and every other department in the church. Amen. And let's get focused. Let's get refocused on our task and on our job. What will this increased pressure on the church do? I'll tell you what it will do. Paul says it will reveal among us who are the sons of God. Okay? That is, it's a precious thing. Because when the pressure starts, and when you get tempted to compromise your faith, for gain of any type, you need to resist that. And to he who overcomes will be given the right to enter heaven. Remember, saved, being saved, will be saved. We won't go there this morning. Okay? We're not there yet. You're not in heaven yet. The Apostle Paul said this, with fear and trembling, I follow my God in the hope that one day, maybe, I, even I, could go to heaven with fear. And some of you are so lackadaisical, laid back, slumbering. You really don't know the true gospel, the real gospel. So don't put the gospel to sleep, friend. It's the only lifeline you have. It's the only hope you have. So dangerous days. Paul says it's going to be like childbirth. The second thing he says is that evil is going to abound in these last days. It's going to increase. Now, Scripture tells us very clearly that God in His grace has bound up many demons. (coughs) There were many demons that He said they were so bad that He would not let them out until the final hours of time. So we're going to see new evils, new forms of evil released in the world in our day i believe we're probably already seeing that amen yeah amen crazy world we live in terrible terrible things happening and paul prophesied this and book of revelation also evil will abound in the last days there's going to be a change in the way things are thirdly paul warned us about busyness don't get so busy that you forget about jesus don't get so busy Because a a, a Christian who doesn't pray is a very weak, weak, weak Christian. A Christian who doesn't pray. It's not rocket science, folks. When you pray, you will receive strength. If you don't pray, you're going to get weak. 
and weaker and weaker. How are you going to stand your ground then? How are you going to stand? You're, you're, you're not listening to the advice of God. And as Nisha prophetically brought out in the worship this morning, that was fantastic worship. The name of Jesus. It's Paul's main central point. Scripture says this, folks. Listen to me. In, in Jesus' name. Thanks, Estella. Scripture says this. In the last days, you will be persecuted for what? Principally. The name. The name. The name of Jesus. Now, it's not happening in the UK. It's happening in America a little bit. <coughs> George Bush, 43, when he was being inaugurated, they asked Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, they wrote him a letter. They said, hello, Franklin Graham, we want you to come and we want you to pray the prayer of inauguration over the president. And Franklin Graham's a good guy. Pray for him. We don't want him to go wonky as well, do we? Pray for him. And Franklin Graham, but in the letter they sent to him, they said this, we want you to pray for George Bush at his inauguration, but you are not permitted to use the name of Jesus. The name. You can say God. You can say Father. But you can't use the name of Jesus. And Franklin Graham wrote back and he said, Sirs, I will pray, no problem. I will pray for the inauguration of the president, but I will use the name of Jesus. And there was, you know, to and fro, there was an argument broke out and there wasn't enough time to solve the argument. And the inauguration came and he was getting all these double messages, warnings from people, you're going to cause war here. Just don't use Jesus. Just don't say Jesus. And of course, everybody's listening for his prayer, you know. And he gets up there and he says, Lord, I pray for this president. I pray in the name of the Father. And he said this. And of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey! Amen. Well done. But the challenge was against the name. I know in Malaysia, we have so many Malaysians here. Uh, they tell me that the law has not yet been passed. It's being contested in the Malaysian parliament and legal departments. Fantastic that they want a group within Malaysia want to have all current Christian Bibles destroyed. And they want the Bible, the Christian Bibles to be reprinted. But this time it will not say God in those Bibles. It will say what? Allah. And then you can have that Bible with Allah written in it instead of God written in it. And as we get nearer the time, the name that will be contested in every way, shape, and form will be the name of Jesus. Okay? Hasn't quite started in our country yet, but it, well, it has, but not in any huge forms. But it will. I believe it will. This government is a disaster. They are a great disappointment. Promised so much and delivered so little. They're a disaster. So I encourage you to, 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 to listen with all your heart, to listen with your spirit this morning. Could I have my second slide, please? The next one, please. Thank you. Look at these things here. We all know these seven deadly sins. The trouble with these, <coughs> the trouble with these words is we become accustomed to them and they lose their power. They lose their cleverness. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. They're all still here. It's just that they change their form. Okay, they become, you know, subtle, much more subtle with time. But they're the same old sins, just with new manifestations. And th these are actually Gandhi's uh, version here of seven modern sins. I think they're excellent. I think he was bang on, actually. 
pleasure without conscience, business without morality, politics without principles, wealth without work, etc. Particularly the last one, or the, the last two, they're very pertinent. Knowledge, knowledge is a dangerous thing. You get too much knowledge, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Okay? Knowledge without character, and of course, our services, our churches all over the world, so much worship without sacrifice, which is death, dead worship. If you think in Genesis, remember what we taught about Samarius and her son Tamus. Remember Baal worship, where they used to sacrifice the children and soak the eggs in blood, where Easter eggs come. Remember all that? Look how that changed. First, it was just barbarians. But then it became ever more sort of sanitized with Baal worship. And then they took those monolithic pillars. Where are they now? They're in the Vatican. They're in the, the, the actual foreground in the Vatican. So where they are today. Today, I showed you. And it's funny how idol worship, for example, just using an example, how idol worship gets sanitized. And it's funny how we can become desensitized to gluttony simply because it's a more modern form or to greed because it's a more modern form, right? So we need to stay super sharp and, and absolutely ready, primed up and ready for these last days. I go to Bulgaria at least once a year and Bulgaria, you think Scotland's bad, you need to go to Bulgaria in the winter. And when I'm in Bulgaria, this is what I look like. I don't look like I look now. <laughs> I look like this. Don't mind me wearing a hat in church, do you? Okay. Good doctrine. Okay. I do like this, right? Because when we were there, when Jeanette and I were there last year, it was minus 29. Our windows were frozen inside. And we had to sit. And this is what I did. So you walk, you go to church. You know, good evening, everybody. And you can see your smoke, you know, good put your breath. It's minus 20. I've never, we, we had 20 days. 20 days. I have never been in a circumstance like that. Now, I did my research before we went. And I saw that the potential for well sub-zero temperatures was very high. So when I went this time, I hate traveling with luggage. We travel as light as possible. But on this occasion, I knew the trouble would be too great. So I said to Jeanette, this time, sorry, because I hold her when we travel. This time, we need extra luggage. So we're going to take a big case. We're going to have gloves, hats, and off we went. When I arrived, the sun was shining. And I was mad. And one of the farmers, he works in the church there, one of the farmers said to me, Wednesday, Wednesday, the snow's are coming. He's a farmer. He'll know what he's talking about. Well, was he's not joking. It was freezing, but I was ready. I was ready. Some things that are important, you need to do them ahead of time. No point in getting to Bulgaria and then scrambling around in a country I don't know with problems I don't understand. Important things of life need to be done in advance, right? And it's no point when you're getting attacked to say, now, where was that helmet? Where's my armor? What'd you say again about that armor? And if we could have the wisdom to, to, to dress ourselves appropriately to go to a country that's cold, may, may God wake us up if we don't, you know, put on the armor of God. 
for the days in which you live and I live. And I want to look briefly this morning, but it's the heart of what I want to say. I want to look at the, the, the armor of God again. Okay? It, it's, to say it's critical is an understatement. This is not for Sunday school. Well, it is for Sunday school, but you know what I mean. It's, 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 not, the kids. <coughs> it's not the kids that need this. It's you and I. And if you can familiarize yourself with the necessity of these, even with what we've said this morning, you will see how critical it is. Paul starts with the belt of truth. Doctrine. Doctrine. And he warns you, he says, make sure that you keep just like your belt is tight and can't fall off. That's how you hold that Bible there, guys. You hold that tight. Hold on to it because there will be a devil trying to wrestle it off you, trying to knock it out of your hand. What about the truth and what aspects of the truth will be challenged? The gospel. The true gospel. You know the gospel, right? You need to repent. But you're not saved just because you repent, right? Correct? All over the world, plenty of people turn from sin. Good people. It doesn't save them. Repentance doesn't save anybody. There's more to it than that. I know lots of good people. Who never do anything wrong. But they're not saved. Just because they turn from evil. There's more to it. You need to repent and believe. It's a different thing. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. But you're still not saved. <laughs> because a wise man called Nicodemus came up to Jesus one day. And he knew all about repentance. All right? He knew all about belief in God. No problem with that. And he said, how does a man become born again? And Jesus said, truly I tell you that no one will enter heaven unless he is baptized in water and has received my spirit. Repent. Believe on Jesus Christ. You, you repent towards the Father. You believe in the Son. And you receive the Spirit. Okay? Okay. Paul called the spirit the seal like a deposit when you buy, go to buy a house it's still not yours because you're paying it off but he uses the same word earnest he says that the, 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 the reception of a spirit in a believer is the earnest of God okay so don't play games with these things they're very critical issues the parable of the ten virgins remember they all received but not all of them finished the course did they they had all received oil. It's the most frightening passage in Scripture, if you understand it. 50% of the church was left on earth. Five. Five, half the ten virgins still had the oil. They were walking in the Spirit, and Christ said, come with me. Half had become backslidden, lazy, and were not Spirit-filled. And so Christ said, get away from me. I bought you. And yet you turn this like this. You see, it's no joke. And Jesus repeated that same lesson, not just with Nicodemus and the ten virgins, but I think it's 16 times out of 26 parables refer in one way or another to the centrality of the full and true gospel. But not even half this church would have a proper grip on that. And that's not because I haven't taught it, because I've taught it exhaustively. It's because you can't hear. Uh, maybe because you don't want to obey or you don't accept. I mean, if you haven't been baptized, I know some of you have approached me already. You need to be baptized, folks. In Scripture, it's, in the Greek, it's both a command and an invitation. It's both. You're being ordered, okay? 
So the belt of truth concerns the gospel and our willingness to commit to the full gospel, right, at any cost, including death. We believe it, and we will stick with it, and we will preach it no matter what happens. Another major truth issue is the whole homosexual thing again. This is probably one of the paramount issues currently around the world. So we need to get used to it. In fact, I forgot to say in Austria, I want it to be on our next conference agenda, that we have some methodology and we, of teaching our people how to deal with this issue, because it's huge. It's a huge issue coming at us left, right, and center. Churches all over the place are giving in. They're being under pressure, and they're giving in. They're not overcoming, right? They're giving in, giving up on the name of Jesus and compromising. Another part of the truth is the infallibility of the Word of God. I believe in the Bible. I believe the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. And I don't say that to look good. I don't say that because it sounds good when you're a pastor. I say it because I believe it. I personally believe it. It's my personal conviction that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God, and I've got more reason to disbelieve it than you because I went to Bible college and studied church history and the Bible, the way it was formed, the formation. Okay, I wholeheartedly believe in the infallible Word of God. Another part of the truth is that we will be challenged that there's more than one way to heaven. That all roads lead to heaven. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> okay, no, they don't. In Pilgrim's Progress, a wonderful line when, 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 when Christian, eventually at the end of his days, he's coming up to the gates of heaven. And you remember his friend. What does the friend do? The friend turns away and decides to go back into the world. Remember? And Christian has that famous line, as they get all that way. But it's not how you start out that counts, is it? It's how you finish. They get all that way to the gates of heaven, and the friend turns to Christian and says, I'm going back. And in Pilgrim's Progress, it says this. Christian says this. And so I came to realize that there is a road to hell, even from the gates of heaven. Very scary line, but a very practical line. So we need to hold to the truth, the belt of truth, which is the word of God, the written, the Logos word of God. Secondly, the, the breastplate of righteousness because the devil is an accuser of the brethren. And you need to have that firmly upon yourself. This was what my dad was good at. He really knew how to reinforce his relationship with God, he walked in. By, by the way, folks, this is the armor of this is the armor of God. It's the armor of God. You're putting on God. You're putting on God. You're putting on the breastplate of God's own righteousness, not my own. You can't stand in your own. The devil will destroy you. The breastplate of God's own righteousness. And I, I, I give you a warning about the tactics of the devil. <coughs> the devil will excuse you in order to accuse you. He will ex he's the accuser of the brethren, which is why you need that breastplate. He will excuse you in order to accuse you. And what I mean, for, for example, it's Friday night. It's time to go to prayer. And the devil will whisper to you, relax, relax, put your feet up. Coronation Street is on. Take it easy. Kick back. Huh? Come on. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Just relax. And you think, well, you know what? Maybe I should just, maybe I should just uh, 
take a, <laughs> take a little rest a minute. And then it comes to half past seven, and now it's too late to go. Guess what the devil says now? You lazy thing. You're a backslidden. God hates you. What kind of husband are you? What kind of father are you? The devil excuses in order to accuse. He excuses to accuse. That's why the scripture says, take captive every thought. And I know that those thoughts are contrary to the will of God. I know that God would never speak to me like that. So I take that captive and I throw it away. Amen. Now we need that breastplate of God's own righteousness firmly upon our chest. Thirdly, I love this one. It's probably my favorite thing. The sandals of peace. That particularly referring to the gospel, but also to our Christian lives. God is a God of, of, of peace. He's a God of war, but he's a God who made peace, tried to make peace with humanity and reaches out to make peace with you. I, I, um, we, maybe we will deal with the whole gay thing some Sunday specifically and deliberately. Um, but I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. When I was in Dublin some years ago, this guy, a gay guy, rang into a radio station and they had a Christian, you know, a chat show on the radio. They had a Christian on one line, and they had a gay guy on the other line, right? And they, you know the way they connect them. They put them both together so they could talk to one another. And as I listened to the gay guy, he was saying, I want to know what the problem is, you know, about this whole God thing. Everybody hates us. God hates us. The church hates us. And then they said, oh, we've got a Christian. So I was lying in bed. I thought, oh, great, they've got a Christian. At least they'll be able to help. Oh, dear. God, sandals of peace? No. This woman, she was actually American. She came on. Oh, she was terrible. It's almost like she said to that guy, burn in hell. Go to hell, you and all your fags and all that. I thought, oh, yo. Oh, she was an absolute disgrace to Christianity. Nothing of the love of God. Nothing of peace. Nothing of trying to. The Bible says this about speaking to the lost. What does it say? Always make sure. When you talk to lost people, that your conversation is full of grace. Always make sure that your conversation is full of grace. Don't argue with the lost. Don't argue with that guy. He's, he's gay and he's lost. For heaven's sake, have some pity, have some mercy, and shine some light and give him hope. Give him hope. Show him that God loves all people. Show, show him that we all need to repent. Everybody needs to repent. Just in his case, he needs to repent of his lifestyle. You're not the first. You're not an exception. We all got the same book. But keep peace. If you make an enemy by arguing with the person you're trying to reach, you're a fool. Right? Amen? What's the point in making an enemy of someone I'm trying to reach? It's ridiculous. So we go out to bring a gospel which is good news... It's a gospel of peace between God and man that was achieved on the cross. Hallelujah. It's a gospel of peace to all men. Good tidings, Isaiah. Go and proclaim good tidings to all people. That the enmity between God and man has been rectified on the cross. Go tell them. Go tell them good news. Hallelujah. It's a gospel of peace. I love it. Absolutely love it. And it's winning. 
and it's what the people want to hear. You often wonder why people don't get saved. Well, maybe we need to look at our sandals. And maybe we need to check ourselves. Fourthly, there's the helmet of salvation. This is probably the most critical, the most important of all the, the, the armor, because so many people, when they make mistakes, they so quickly say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm saved anymore. All the time, all the time. It's an important part, this. That Paul talks about the fiery darts of the enemy. Your thought life will be the major part of you that will be attacked by the devil, right? He's the accuser, and he does that so often with thoughts. So the helmet, it's a helmet of what? Salvation. It's the helmet of salvation. It's your security and your salvation. And when we start losing that, when we start having doubts, it just goes to show that we're not you know, we haven't got a firm grip on that or we've become lackadaisical with our helmet, as it were. <coughs> Excuse me. Let <coughs> the shield of faith, basically standing our ground, you get faith by reading those scriptures, by hearing from God, by God speaking to you. And you can use that faith in the day of battle. You know, I, being a pastor for me is, is, is not difficult. But one of the benefits of being a pastor is you do pick up a lot of faith because of your job. You know what I mean? Just by doing the work, you automatically grow in faith. And that's a blessing. That's a great thing. So I found it easier to, to, to stand in battle, to hold my ground, simply because of that. Now, not that we've had too many terrible attacks. Remember the Satanists wrote to us. I came into the church one day, and there's a letter there, handwritten letter. Hello. We're the Satanists in Dublin. We know you. And we're going to destroy you. We're gonna, this is what we're going to do. And then they listed a whole load of things that they were going to do to us, do to the church. I didn't realize it, but four other leaders in Dublin got those same letters in the same weekend. And we met together. You know, you need, you need faith to stand your ground against the flaming arrows of the devil, right? No matter what comes at you. To put that up there. The sword of the spirit. This is different from the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the Word of God. It's that Word of God that you're, you're, you're holding, your Bible, the Logos. But the sword is the prophetic word. The prophetic word. When you need a specific word for a specific problem, and you get that word, you're off. There's power in the Word of God, right? So the belt of truth is the Logos. The sword of the Spirit is the Rhema. The specific God-given word for whatever situation you need that word for. Jim is a good example here. And here's a piece of advice for you folks. With regards to the sword of the spirit. If you need healing. Go and get your belt of truth. And study every scripture. On healing. And sooner or later. A sword will pop up. You'll hear. And now you've got something you can fight with. You read the Bible. Until you hear. That's what you do. Don't just read the Bible. You read the Bible until you read the Logos, the written word, until you get the prophetic word, which is your weapon to fight with. Are you with me? Okay, don't become religious. Not a prayer book, not a manual. It's a living word. But you've got to push through to get that living word, get that sword, and then you can go to war against the devil. If you need finances, go home, get a highlighter, study every scripture on finances until you get the rhema. And then you've got your, 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 your first weapon to fight with. 
etc., 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 etc. What I want to do, oh yes, yeah, sorry, the last one is not so much prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. But Paul says this when he talks about the armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God, and after you have done all things, stand. He says, stand. So after you've taken your stand, and you've got the armor on, now you've got to stand, prepare to hold your ground. Prepare to keep that ground because you're just about to get pushed and pushed and you've got to keep that ground. Okay? I think that's probably the crowning point of it. We'll look at these in the weeks to come. I want to expand on them because I think it's the word for the day. Look at your second sheet. I just got this off the net. I thought it was a pretty good list. I've seen lots of lists. <coughs> 26, 26 signs that tell us that we're in the last days. Forgive me one moment. Just look up a moment. Please give me your attention just before we start this. I constantly meet people who still don't have any real grip on their understanding of the end times events. And people say and believe that they can relax because before the rapture happens... Lots of stuff needs to take place. The Dome of the Rock needs to be done. Blah, 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 blah. Wrong. That's the second coming. Okay? There's a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming. Big difference. Nothing needs to happen on this planet for the rapture. So that means this afternoon, the church could be taken from the earth and you could be like the five, like 50% of the church. It can happen today. There's no more scripture and there's no more prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. These are the last days. The signs are everywhere. And Paul says, be aware that without warning, at the moment when you least expect it, boom, the church will be gone. But half of it, I believe, Jesus is being accurate. I like to take scripture just as the way it says. And if he said around 50%, I believe that. And people laugh at that. Like, Don't be ridiculous. Nowhere near that. I said, that's what Jesus said. I'd rather believe Jesus than believe you. He said, five wise, he's talking about half this church is, for one reason, they don't have the spirit in them. They were saved, right? They repented, they believed, they were baptized, but maybe they never received. Or if they did receive, they leaked and didn't walk on with God. So for this reason, we need to be all the more attentive and ready in these last days. Look at this list. I'll run through them as very quickly, but we can expand on them in the coming weeks. False teachers would become money hungry, and goodness knows they're everywhere. Number two, homosexuality would be increasingly evident. Is it? Yes. <coughs> Earthquake. Stefan, did you manage to get that? <coughs> Look at this, guys. I showed you this before. These are the earthquakes in 1973, and then look at the earthquakes in 2003. Jesus said one of the signs of his return would be that earthquakes will increase upon the earth. Well, the increase of earthquakes is staggering, and that's 10 years old. So you can imagine how much more that has become since then. I haven't got the latest graphs. Correct. Number three is correct. Number four. Stress can overtake us. Number five, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Number six, people will forsake the Ten Commandments. 
Now we know we're in um, in America. They're trying to get the Ten Commandments removed from the from the law courts, right? Number seven, a cold religious system will be established and popular, but one that denies the power of God. Eight, men would uh, follow a fantasy life rather than putting their faith in the Christian truth. Number eight, deadly diseases would be prevalent. Number ten, the fact that God flooded the earth would be contested. And it is contested all over the places. The Bible says knowledge will increase in the last days. It's a warning. It's not information. It's not a piece of information. It's a warning. God is warning you about the effects of knowledge upon you. Knowledge puffs people up, and then they don't listen to anybody anymore. Got it? He war- You know, knowledge can destroy people. Knowledge means nothing in that regard. Look at Nazi Germany. The people who orchestrated the Holocaust, very smart people. Lots of knowledge. Amen? It's true. Very smart people don't ever think that knowledge in an academic sense is, 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 of course, it's a good thing in a general sense. But there's a warning about the effects of knowledge upon you because it will puff you up and stop you listening and then you fall into deceptions. In the last days, knowledge will increase and people think they don't need God anymore. They don't need to listen to the warnings anymore because they're so smart. You got it. It's a warning. Number 17. Hypocrites will be in the church. Don't look at anybody. Number 18, there will be an increase of false cults and religious things, blah, blah, blah. (coughs) Number 19, the future would seem fearful. Well, God knows that's true. Number 20, humanity will become materialistic, correct? 21, uh, many will increase in travel. Absolutely. Mostly uh, Mostly from the east, though. You notice that? Every time we travel... Not a lot of white guys, is there? Oh, all the money's in, in Asia. It's in Muslim countries. Doesn't matter where you are. The whites are not traveling. It's Islam that's propagating all over the place. The Americans even don't travel much, you know. Don't travel much. One of the least traveling nations in the world. They stay internally. So travel will increase. We're talking about Islam being propagated all over the world. Take a look at Glasgow, right? Travel will increase. No, it's not a positive thing. 22, the Christian gospel would be preached as a warning to all nations. Number two, Christians are going to become hated for his name's sake. And, uh, and there will be signs in the heavens above. You will, your youth will become rebellious. Uh, men will mock the signs. And they do. Men will mock people like me. They will laugh at people like me saying, listen to that. How can you listen to that? Why do you... Listen to that. I'll tell you why we listen to it, because it's in the Bible. Because it's in the Bible. One of the scary bits there, it says there's going to be signs in the sky. I reckon there is, you know. I think we're probably going to have some sort of a meteor strike or something in, in the, you know, in the book of Revelation, where it talks about wormwood. You know that? You hear that? You know Chernobyl? That's what they said. I don't know if many of you are maybe too young, but there was a nuclear power station in Russia in a town called Chernobyl that exploded some years ago. Krasi, our pastor in Bulgaria, when I was there last couple of months ago, he was limping. And I said to him, what's wrong with your leg? And he said, oh, nothing. And he was limping around, you know. And then I asked his boss, Pastor Ivan, I said, what's wrong with him? And he said, ah, Chernobyl. Chernobyl? He said, yeah, he's 26. He was six. 
And that whole generation, all the kids have got, they're grow, as they grow up, they're going to have deformities. That's Chernobyl. That's radiation from the bomb. Oh, that's terrible. But the, the, the reason they think uh, the book of Revelation talks about in these moments of history that there's a great crash into the earth from out of the sky. And people said, oh, that's Chernobyl because it was a great big explosion. And the word Chernobyl means wormwood. In Russian, that's what it means. It means wormwood. And in the book of Isaiah, I think it is, it says, and the name of this meteorite that hits the earth, it will be called wormwood. And of course, when they saw the explosion and they saw the word, they put them together and said, that's it. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it is. Personally, I don't think so. Because not powerful enough. There's going to be a sign in the sky. There's going to be a sign on the earth. Something is going to happen that maybe it's a little bit of a jolt saying, God saying, I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm coming back. And whether you're ready or not, I will be taking with me those who have my spirit. So don't play games with the gospel. You didn't write it. You didn't pay the price for it. And you've never been to heaven. Heaven's a costly place. And the entrance fee is very clear. It's the spirit. It's the presence of the spirit within you. And to keep that spirit, you need that armor so that you can stand your ground and resist and overcome and still be standing when Christ comes back. Still be standing when the trumpet sounds and he calls his people home. Wonder when that's going to be. You know, in Egypt, in Egypt every day, the women have their babies. And if the baby is a girl, the women walk down to the Nile, they throw the baby in the river. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And that's gone on for hundreds of years. Can you imagine watching? Wouldn't you be itching? to come back to earth to get this thing finished wouldn't you and then you look at Syria a couple of weeks ago where oh lord the people were burned alive burned alive their skin burned flaked alive and simultaneously suffocated it's a horrible terrible awful death so much so that even the armies don't so terrible evil will abound And you see, God, watch that. I wonder how long you can sit still, God. I wonder how long. I wonder how long. And then we have the opposition in Syria who are led by Al-Qaeda. And now we have Al-Qaeda right up against the border of who? Israel. First time in history. Made it to the borders right at your door we're right here scary so no I think I think the pieces are in place the prophecies are fulfilled just time for us all to wake up